are listening to Syntax, the podcast with the tastiest web development treats out there. Strap yourself in and get ready. Here is Scott Talensky and Wes Boss. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Syntax podcast, where we talk about the tastiest web development treats out there. With me, as always, is Scott Talensky. How are you doing today, Scott? Hey, I'm doing super good. Doing really good. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Just uh, back at it after a couple of weeks of vacation, which I am had an awesome time on vacation. And uh, now I'm back into it's It's funny how hard it is actually to get back into coding. Like I just like was sat down at my desk and I was like, what do I do again? Like, what am I working on? Like, I feel for people who, who don't write like JavaScript every day because you get I, I feel like you get pretty rusty. I found after just two weeks of being away, I, I don't know how to code anymore. <laughs> I think it's hard to get back in the groove of like anything like that, where you're just like, you're out of your, your normal flow. You're not, you know, and you're all of a sudden got to just jump back into it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Even I like project I like, to project, you know, that's true. Actually, being able to jump into an old project and think about like, oh, how what was I working on it? How was I working on it? Like I thrive in consistency and, and doing the same thing day in, day out and stuff like that. And when it gets messed up, it's it's really funky, but Excited Bonky. to be back. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by two awesome company, Devlifts, who sponsored the show uh, many times in the past. They're back uh, and they will get you fit. As if you're a developer, which you probably are because you're listening to this, they are going to get you fit. And MLab, which is going to host your MongoDB database. We'll talk about both of those companies partway through. Uh, but today we're talking about React. Uh, I was just kind of sitting around looking at a list of topics and I messaged Scott and I was like, do you know what we've never done? We've never done a show on React. We've done our first ever show over a year ago was on React tools. We've talked about React probably in every single episode, but we've never actually done like a, this is what React is. Here's all the core concepts behind it. And we realized that uh, not everybody who listens to this podcast is a React developer with a MacBook Pro that lives in North America. <laughs> so uh, we, we thought we would go into React to kind of explain all the ins and outs and, and our thoughts on it and the opinions. And this would be great if, if you are new or intermediate at React. Maybe this will be a nice little refresher into all the different pieces. If you are coming from either another framework or not knowing a framework at all, maybe you're just learning JavaScript at the time. Hopefully this will solidify the idea. Ideas because I find that when I switched to React from Angular, I, I was initially Angular 1 dev, I found that there was not a lot of things in React. Whereas in Angular, I felt like there was just endless things to learn. In React, it was pretty simple. There's components, state, props, event handlers, a couple lifecycle methods, and uh, some ideas around fetching data. And uh, and you, I guess you can get into it with because it doesn't do routing and stuff like that. But I found that it was easy to grasp the surface area of React. I don't know about you. Do you find feel the same way yeah and a lot of the things in react i think the things that even people have trouble with as thinking are things in react or just javascript things and and that's like the the main thing that i man, going off on the word thing here but the main thing that i've been like really loving about react is just personally how much better at javascript it makes you and and just the amount of stuff that you can learn in react and then you can take with you to other things right because now all of a sudden uh the stuff you're taking or the stuff you're you're taking isn't isn't stuff that you have to leave behind right it's not dollar sign scope it's not directives it's not that kind of thing it's it's javascript that you can take with you 
And I like that a lot. Yeah, I feel like I've said this before many times over, but I feel like React has made me a much better JavaScript developer because there isn't a lot of magic. There is, I guess, in like the whole rendering and, and stuff like that. But actually authoring React code, there's not a whole lot of magic that, that goes on beyond beyond uh, JSX and, and some of the auto binding stuff that uh, is not totally in the language just yet. Yeah. And I think I remember back to when I first started learning React, besides the whole confusion around writing your your view in your JavaScript sort of thing, rather than having like a separate HTML file and stuff. I think the biggest thing for me is it felt very verbose. And I was just like, you got to write a whole lot of code to do very little. And then and I don't think that way at all anymore. It was only a couple of weeks before I was just like, oh, I, I totally get why everything's like this. And then now when you look at stuff that does a whole lot of stuff for you, I get a little um, where is this coming from? Why is this doing this? I, I you know, I never, I was, I was definitely a, a fan of a little bit of magic and still I'm a fan of a bit of magic, but like, I, I'm definitely, I, I get why people say there's a lot of too much magic in things, you know, sometimes. Totally. I, I agree that there's a fine line in magic and I like just enough and I don't really know how to, how to say that, but react is, is probably on the other side of it as not so magic. I probably would like a little bit more magic in react, but, uh, the explicitness of it, I think does make you a better JavaScript developer. So totally. let's, let's get into it. Um, let's first talk about one of the core ideas of react and that is uh, a component. We want to take a stab. What is a component, Scott? Yeah, component is a reusable thing. It's a reusable chunk of code, right? And a component can be something that augments your other things, or it can be something that is itself a thing, right? It, it can be a visual thing, or it can be something that augments other things, like a wrapper or a container or something like that that's providing data. But at the end of the day, a component is an individual item that can plug into other items or feature other items or contain other items. Yeah, totally. Is that a so good explanation? I, I really like that. I think you nailed it there. It will either do one of two things. It will either display a part of your application. So maybe you are displaying a user's profile. You want to put an image of them. You want to put like a H2 tag and, and maybe a tagline underneath them. And that will be your user component. And you'll be able to take that component wherever you want. And as long as you supply it data to who the user is, then it, then it works. Um, another a way to approach it is a component can be something that handles logic and, and some of that logic will be uh, what happens when someone clicks on a user? What happens when someone hovers over it? What ha how does the data get into the component? And um, at the very simplest, your logic and your display can be the same thing. You can put those together and, and in a lot of cases that makes sense, but you can just do one of the other where you might have a component that has all the logic in it and then you might have a secondary component that that just answers the question, how do I uh, display it? And I think maybe we'll get into, or maybe we should do that now, right now. So there's your regular React components, which are you extend react.component. Um, and those are those are what I like to call full-blown components. And in those, you can put all of your custom logic, and then each component will have what's called a render method. And in your render method, that describes at the end of the day, when I put this component on the page, what does it render out to the page? And, and that's where you put your HTML. The other type of component is called a stateless functional component, which is just a render and it doesn't it doesn't extend. It's actually just a function that returns some JSX. And, and that's just taking in data via something called props. We'll talk about that and then spitting out some uh, DOM elements on the page. 
Is that pretty good, I think? Yeah, I think so. And there's also pure components, but those are less important right now, especially if we're just getting into the basic stuff. But like one of the things that's funny, they always were saying that like stateless functional components are going to bring performance benefits, but it was always like they're going to bring performance benefits. And I don't think they have yet. Right. So do you use stateless functional components in your code? I do use them whenever it is that I need to just render out something because it's a little bit simpler, but I do find it a bit of a pain when I need to switch from a stateless functional component and go, oh, I actually do need a a custom method on this thing, or I actually do need one of the lifecycle methods uh, on it. And then you have to switch it over to a regular React component. So I've myself have never really run into any performance issues with just regular React components. So I do think it's kind of funny uh, because like maybe that is something the compiler should handle. If it doesn't see any custom stuff on it, maybe it should just turn it into a stateless one for us. I don't I don't necessarily know why one or the other, but I don't know. It's kind of there's probably some good reasons that I honestly don't know. For a long time, I think I was being very like, I'm always going to do a stateless functional component unless I have to. And now I'm very... I'm always just going to do a component and I almost don't even think about stateless functional components because it's like, it was such a pain to convert between the two that if I started one and had to change, I was always just annoyed by that. And since I wasn't seeing any performance decreasing and I wasn't doing anything that would cause, well, I mean, obviously there's no necessarily performance benefits from it anyways. So like I was just, just being cool. Okay, well, if, if that's a, if that's a thing and all of a sudden, you know, you, you get this big benefit from it. I'll just do it all at once. I'll just convert all the ones I can at once rather than having to even think about it. So for the most part, I just use component and I, I use pure component occasionally, but I, for the most part, I just use component and, uh, and that way I just don't even have to worry about it. That's, that's interesting. I like to hear that too, because what happened when React came out is that everybody was opposed to React because it, it, took, it threw separation of concerns out the window where you, you used to be like, you have your JavaScript here, you have your HTML here and you have your CSS here and they should all be separate because you have separation of concerns. And they sort of threw that out the window and they said, you know what, just put it all in, in a component, right? And, and people were saying like, no, you're not allowed to do that. And, and, and we asked like, well, but why? And it's, we got into this like sort of developers do this all the time. We have these rules that you should never do something. And then if you ask why, you sort of start stuttering and you don't really know why you think it's just it's just this mantra that you repeat over and over again. And you have to try really hard not to actually fall into that because now we're starting to to fall into uh, things in React where people say, like, always use a stateless functional component for this. Or what is the other one? Don't do inline event handlers. And, and then people come back and say, but why? And then people, yeah. you, you sort of stutter. and say, uh, Oh, I was just just kind of well, like this chanting particular this thing. situation. And in this particular uh, whatever, you're going to run into these tiny little insignificant performance issues that you may or may not be having. So yeah. therefore, you here's know, you, a demo you where s- I put 300,000 components on a single page and they all have right. an inline event handler. Look at the for performance. Oh, oh, OK. I'll remember that next time I put 300,000 components on a page. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I, I, I tend to not get wrapped up in that sort of stuff. I mean, there's always some sort of best practice that's going around and i mean by all means follow best practices right but like i don't don't 
get too crazy about it. For a long time, people were like, I wouldn't even use React without Redux. You're only using it with Redux. And now you, you don't see that sentiment nearly as much anymore. Uh, people are using other things instead of just Redux. And, uh, and there, there's these new things like that that happen all the time. And, and people shift from one to the next, one to the next. And again, it's good to stay up on best practices. You don't want to ignore the best practices. You want to do them. But don't get hung up on micro optimizations or something like that unless you need to. That's one thing I, I often see in uh, senior developers. Whenever I talk with a senior developer, they're always skeptical over rules like that. And they always question what, why and, and how that works. And I think that's a really good thing I've taken away from from talking to senior developers is don't get wrapped up. And I do it myself all the time. And you see it in CSS as well. Uh, you see it in HTML where people come up with these rules that you have to do it this way because someone once ran a test in Chrome and it was like three milliseconds faster, but it's since been fixed. So who cares in most cases? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So we'll move over to the next one, which is JSX. JSX is the templating language. I don't even know if I would call it templating language, but it's how you make DOM elements, or I, I like to call it HTML. People will turn their nose and say, it's not HTML, it's DOM it's elements. JSX. Yeah, and yeah, it's JSX, but like, it's, it's how you get HTML on the page, right? And it looks exactly like HTML, hold a few little things. There's like, you have to use class name instead of class, and you have to use HTML4 instead of 4, which are a couple little things. Hopefully, there, there's rumbles that that will go away in, in this beautiful thing called JSX2. I've been sort of following the GitHub. Love Love that. I would love that. Uh, I think that was one of the initial things that turned me off of JSX. I was like, I got to write class name. It's a yeah. whole other word here. <laughs> it's bizarre. And the fact that Preact, so uh, Preact and Inferno are libraries that are compatible with the React API, meaning that you can ideally just switch your entire uh, application over from being a React application to a Preact app or an Inferno app. And actually, uh, the dev of Inferno now works at Facebook on React and the dev of Preact now works at Google doing performance stuff. So obviously these were like sort of like faster uh, versions of React that they built. And uh, it's kind of interesting. I know a couple big companies specifically use it, but they, they have fixed that class name and HTML4 thing. So it's not like a limitation of any language. It's just in the JSX compiler. Uh, so hopefully that will go away at some point. But uh, we use JSX to template out everything. Um, you can take data into your component via three three ways, state, props, or context. We'll talk about that in just a bit. Um, and it's just how you render it out. The the kind of weird thing about JSX, or, or maybe the nice thing about it, is that there is no logic. It's a logicless templating language. So if you're coming from Pug or Jade or Handlebars or EJS or any other templating language, you know that they all have their own way of doing conditionals and if statements and turn turnaries and <laughs> how do you say it? I say ternary. Ternary. It's the one I but can't say, and it drives people bonkers. It could be no, it's, it's not. It's I always say everything wrong. <laughs> it doesn't have any of that logic. And the idea is that you use JavaScript for that logic, and uh, that can get a little hairy in places. In most cases, you just need to map over an array of data and then spit out another component for that, and it's not a big deal. Uh, in some of the conditionals, it can get a little bit hairy, but as soon as your templating gets a little bit hairy, 
it's likely that you need to split your code up into smaller, littler components that handle that mm-hmm. logic before the render actually returns. Yeah, I'm a big fan because um, in JSX, you have the ability to use JavaScript expressions, right? And just being able to throw those expressions into your HTML, uh, again, it is it is for all intents and purposes, HTML, right? Yeah. Uh, being able to just throw in JavaScript expressions inline into HTML, I always find that to be such a nicer approach than like having a, a property on an HTML element, a la Angular or something like that, where you had an ng if that was on a div. For me, that always felt like is the div going to show or is the contents within the div going to show or what is the the wrapper here, right? So I really like the fact that you can have all your expressions in JSX and it makes it very obvious to me what is actually going to be output rather than what's the container. Now, obviously, if you're used to all that stuff, it's immediately obvious to you. But it, to me, it's just less ambiguous at a glance. Awesome. Yeah, that's one thing when I first started React, I, everything that I bumped into, I was like, seriously, this is the way that they do it. But if you just yeah. give it a chance, a lot of React is sort of rethinking best practices, especially if you're coming from Angular 1 or jQuery or Backbone, things like that. It was a bit of a radical shift. And now a lot of the ideas of React are, are propagating through other frameworks. So it might not be that foreign to you. But uh, if it's your first time approaching one of these, it, it might seem funky. But I'll just tell you, give it a shot because... It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Once you get past that whole it's different and scary point, it doesn't. It feels very intuitive once you're used to it. One of the things I, I was actually just looking on the uh, that JSX two thread, and somebody was saying like comments. Uh, comments feels hacky oh, yeah. in JSX, and it does feel hacky. You have to have curly brackets, then you have a forward slash, then the asterisk, and then you it's like sort of the JavaScript block comment inside of curly brackets. It's just a lot of code for a comment, right? Yeah, and, it's, and it's really the, annoying. Yeah, your text editor will occasionally decide like not to do it. I was having for a while where VS Code would just always do the double slash inside of JSX. And I was just like, no, stop, please don't do that. Like, uh, I don't want to have to type this out. And if you leave a comment above your initial return, it, it gives you that cannot return to children. You have to return oh, yeah. once. You have to put the comment inside. It's so bizarre to me that you can't just use regular HTML comments, which I would love. And I think I'm just opening up my uh, my site stats right now. My most viewed blog post is how to comment in JSX, which is is so funny that that's the one thing that everybody. There we go. To just today, it's noon, and over 300 people have come to my website and asked, "How do you comment in in JSX?" So on a, on any given day, there's probably between six and 900 people visiting my website just to uh, learn how to comment in JSX. It, it should be a little easier than that. Yeah, super annoying. Cool. Yeah. We're talking about JSX as the way to like write the view for React, but you can write React with actual just JavaScript. I mean, if you want to keep it all so there's like no abstraction over JavaScript, you can write using React.createElement and you can create an element, right? And you can render those elements and you can use all sorts of any of your normal HTML in JavaScript. Now, I don't know too many people that actually write react this way because it's just a lot of extra code to do it, but it exists, right? So if you're like, I don't want to use any of these weird HTML abstractions, you can write everything in straight JavaScript if you want. Uh, it, it certainly is a way to do things. And of course, you can find more information about that. Again, do you know anybody that it does that kind of thing? I don't know anyone that specifically uses React.createElement. And the way it works is that you, I think it's 
the you react.create element and the first one is the text that or no, the first one is what element you want to create. Second one mm-hmm. is an object of properties that goes on that element. And then the third one is what goes inside. Uh, and that's either going to be text or it's going to be another react.create element. Because if you want to nest six or seven levels deep, then you have to have six or seven. So I don't use that. I know some people that use this thing called hyperscript. It's called react hyperscript. And you just use an H and you can give it like div.example or h1 pound heading. And uh, it works a little similar, but the syntax is a little cleaner. I don't see, oh, I see. The, the reason yeah. why you would want to use this unless you love uh, finding missing uh, braces and brackets and semicolons. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's not for me. I don't know anybody that, that uses this, but uh, I do know it's, it's somewhat popular. There's, there's people out there. If you if you write React without JSX and with something else, uh, whether that's hyper or hypertext or hyper whatever hyperscript, hyperscript. whatever you said it was, yeah. hyperscript or with just a React built-in tools, let us know. I want to hear about it because that that's like really interesting to me. It's something again I I, I can't imagine doing myself, and I kind of want to know uh, what your reasons are for for doing that, and if you like it, and how it, how it makes your life better. So uh, JSX basically does a lot of the heavy lifting for. JavaScript underneath the hood, right? I mean, it's all just JavaScript under JSX. And speaking of heavy lifting, our sponsor today is DevLift. So today's sponsor back at it is DevLifts. We had DevLift sponsor, I think three or four shows in the past. Specifically, uh, we did a fitness and nutrition episode about a year ago now. We're actually going to do a, a follow up on that because that was a pretty popular episode. But uh, DevLifts is a company. It's JC and Thad. Uh, they're JC is a web developer, personal trainer, and uh, Thad is a personal trainer. Uh, and they're on a mission to get devs, web developers, you healthy. Because uh, as you know, <laughs> Scott and I were joking the other day on Twitter, or maybe not joking, we're going to do an episode on our top 10 favorite chips. Uh, <laughs> which, by the way, yeah. stop, the, stop the ad for a second. We have uh, way better chips in Canada. We have, you, Scott told me you don't have all dressed or ketchup chips. Yeah, but we have Cool Ranch. Do you have Cool Ranch? Oh yeah, Cool oh. Doritos. Yeah. yeah. Well, mm. we've got some. Whatever. We've got like poutine and smoky barbecue. Anyways, back back at it. So DevLifts has got two new plans, or, or one new plan, and the existing one that we talked about last time uh, that they sponsored. So uh, the new plan is called Fit Start. And uh, it's 19 bucks a month and it's going to be tailored towards a goal that you want to hit. What's really important about either of these ones we're going to talk to you about. So you don't need to have access to a gym. So with fit.start, it's going to give you, uh, you choose a goal. You want to get lean, which is lose some fat. If you want to do body weight, if you have no gym required, or if you want to get strong, so you want to do a compound lift. So whatever it is, if you go back to the, the fitness one, one, some of my goals were to uh, lose some weight and uh, to get stronger so that it, I could have like a better mental clarity uh, when I'm approaching these things. So fit start. All the plants are 100% beginner friendly. Uh, the first week, he says, is just actually taking a walk. Um, you get all the workouts via email. And he's telling me that they're going to have a mobile app pretty soon, which I think is going to be super helpful because I always had a Google Doc on my phone when I was opening it up at, at the gym. So uh, a dedicated app would be pretty, pretty sweet. Um, with FitStart, you get a nutrition guide, 
it's free for active contributors to any of the DevLift's open source projects, which is pretty nifty. Um, it's free for students. So just email your student email address, which I think is, is really, really cool. So if you're just looking to get started with getting back into the gym and need a really great way, I, I've went through their plans myself. They work really well. I think that's really neat about developers is sometimes you just need someone to give you a plan and say, do this. And, and then you can go off and, and do it yourself. Use fit, Use syntax for... 50% off your subscription for one month, two months? No, forever. Ever. <laughs> so check that out. That's at devlifts.io. You click on the, the join button. And then they also have the premium devlist, which is uh, what we talked about last time. And this is like the uh, custom tailored one towards your goals. So if you have specific goals that you have, you have specific injuries, dietary restrictions, things like that, and you want a little bit more uh, hands-on, some more personal personalization, accountability with JC and Thad. You can have video calls with them. You get your you get the private Slack channel. With the other one, you get Slack channel, but with this one, you get the private Slack channel. Uh, they'll do form form critiques on uh, how you're forming it because that's that's one that's thing you don't want to actually hurt, important. Yeah. hurt yourself. Very important. Yeah. And that one, it has, he's got only got 10 spots open for this because obviously their time is not infinite. So there's only 10 spots. You can get 50% off with the coupon code TASTY. Tasty. I really like that coupon code. <laughs> so <laughs> either way, if you're looking to get fit, uh, check out devlifts.io. And if you don't know which plan is for you, I'm sure you can chat with JC or Thad and, and they'll help you out. I uh, highly recommend uh, going with JC and Thad. I went through it myself. Um, and, uh, it, I don't know, we, we talked about this before, but it's, it's really important to, to get fit and to get in shape if you're a developer, not just cause you're going to look good, but I think more importantly that you're, you're going to be more mentally focused and you're going to be on it more. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I can't wait to do that. That second fitness episode. Everyone knows, uh, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to, to talk more and, you know, the dev lists, everything, this, this, these plans are, are awesome. And, uh, yeah, just check it out. Devlifts.io. Big, big fans of them. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm really excited to have them back sponsoring uh, a couple of podcasts. So back at it. Back at it. All right, let's talk about data in React. How does data get to where it wants to go? Where does data live? And, and how do you fetch it and bring it into an application? So first, let's talk about how does the data get to where it needs to go? So if you have a component called a user and you want to feed that uh, maybe an object with a user's name, a description of the user, and an avatar. So you would have an you would either pass in one prop, and a prop in JSX is the same thing as an attribute in HTML, except that you can pass it any type that JavaScript supports. So you might have a prop on a user component that is like user details, and you would pass in an object that has those three things. Or you might have three separate props where you have like uh, name, description an image and those will all be passed in just like a regular HTML element would would take in a source on an image tag or an alt on an image tag. Then once you are past the data into it, you can easily access the data inside of your component by saying this dot props dot whatever it is that you want. And you can use the React Dev tools to peer into a component and see the props. So anytime that you want to surface data to a component, and this is kind of a tricky thing in React because there's no concept of like a global scope in React. So if you want a component to 
reach outside or, or not even reach outside, but if you want a component to get data, you need to pass it in via props. And uh, that's how you get it. Similarly, if you want data to, to transcend six or seven levels, you have to do what's called prop drilling, where you have to pass it down all six or seven levels. There's a lot of different solutions to solve this, that issue as well. There's this thing called context. We'll talk about that. And there's other external data management things called like Redux and, and whatnot. But uh, at the very basic, getting data into a component is called props. Then there's a couple other, maybe you wanna you want to take these. We also have what's called child props and render props. You wanna take a stab at those? Yeah, and it's actually really funny. I saw a tweet from uh, Dan Abramov the other day where he's like, I don't know why people always do prop drilling when they don't have to. And he, he showed an example where you had like a container and then instead of having that container contain like children that are nested inside of that component, he, the children were just being output as the children, the children prop or the child props and the prop itself, instead of drilling into the container and then into the children without ever being utilized in the container itself, just went right into the children. And then he was like, now the container isn't, isn't attached to that prop at all. Yeah. Just the child is. And I thought that was really interesting. I hadn't really used that technique very much. I'm almost always passing it down or I'm using some sort of state management to put that there. So I thought that was like a really interesting thing to say, hey, your your property is coming from this skipping the parent and going directly into the child just because you're using this thing called uh, child props, right? Or, or children. So in React, you have a couple of different ways to utilize props and one of the default props that React gives you is something called children. So you can think of this as if you were to have a header with a navigation. Well, maybe that header could contain several different components and maybe you'll have that header can, well, I guess maybe this is a bad example. Let's, let's have like a card component, right? A card component has, is a wrapper. And then inside of that component is going to be a whole ton of different stuff, right? And so you could have your card as the outermost wrapper, as the outermost component, and then you would have your children be available as a component that is just nested inside of there. You could think of it as like an H1 inside of a div, right? You have your content that's inside of the card. Well, to access the content, you output it with this.props.children, okay? And so the children is just going to output anything that is contained, and it's not passed as an attribute. It's actually sandwiched in between the opening and closing element, just like you would any other HTML situation. So where render props comes in is the idea that you could have a prop. Initially, you could see this in something like React Router where there's a prop name render, right? And that render is an arrow function that outputs some code, right? And and there's a whole host of benefits to this. I think I, one of my videos, I have a whole host of videos on um, Level Up Tutorials, the Level 2 React course. Check that out. I have like a, a three video little mini series in that course. It's like the first three videos that really explain and build up render props like one by one by one until you really get it. Mm -hmm. But basically the render prop it ends up just being a function that outputs some code. And then what spawned from that is using children as a render prop. And then you end up being able to access things from the parent component in line in your children without having to have this like really tightly uh, coupled parent-child relationship. So you'll see this in things like context. You'll see this in things like Apollo when you're pulling data out. It's how I pull my data out. Uh, definitely, it's it's a hard concept to explain without having some sort of visual thing. If you really yeah. want uh, a full explainer, go to leveluptutorials.com. 
uh, check out the level two React course. I explain it, uh, in my opinion, a very good explanation, and we really like take it one step at a time to to give you the the benefits of it. But it's it makes for very reusable code. Okay, so render props are a way that you can use an actual prop once named render. Now it's just the child prop to access information from the parent inside of your child, allowing for like way way reusable code. Yeah, so earlier we talked about uh, having a one component that fetches your data and another component that displays the data. And, and that concept is is usually referred to as a high order component. And in render props, I think the key there is that the the actual child of your component is going to be a function and that function will run. And the arguments that that function provides you is the, the data that you're looking for. So I might have a query component that queries for a list of items and the child of that query component will be an array of items that I can then loop over and display. So the syntax of it, I think, is terrible because you've got these arrow functions. It's a little confusing. You got curly brackets and square brackets and uh, like triangles and any shape of bracket you can think of. They put them in there. Um, But that's just a bit of a I think the downside of the language. I don't know if that that's just yeah, how the just language JavaScript. works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that's the whole thing is that people just found out that this technique you could just do this technique, and when yeah. they found out the benefits of it, it wasn't like this is a, necessarily a feature. This is more just like a technique that was discovered fairly. I mean, in in terms of like things, new things in React, I'd say this is a fairly recent probably uh, in phenomenon. the last like yeah. fourteen, fifteen months. I'd say. It's it's become very pretty popular in the in the last little bit, and there's there's people that are very against it, and people that are very much for it. In Apollo, you kind of have no choice because they used to do high order component, and then they released some new features, and they only rolled it out as a render prop. And uh, as long as you have prettier running on your render props, it's fine because it will do the auto indentation for you. Although the one thing I don't like that it does is that if you have a an implicit return, it will automatically switch it over to an implicit return if, if, it, if it can mm. be. And then if mm-hmm. you want to debug, you want to throw a console log inside of your block. You, you, you have to do really, the brackets and yeah. the explicit return. Yeah, dude, I know all about that. I, for the most part, <laughs> agree. I'm right there with you. I, I, although I'm a huge fan of render props, that that to me is like the one thing that I'm always like, do I really want to throw a log in here and like go through that? Or do I just want to try to figure out <laughs> blindly because it's yeah. such a pain in the ass? Well, yeah. one little one little tip there is on an implicit return. This is for getting into the weeds. Uh, but between Scott and I, if you have an implicit return and you want to console log the payload, you can do console log the payload and 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 then do your implicit return. Um, and because console log returns nothing yeah it's, it's falsy so it'll, it'll it's falsy so it'll fall back to the actual turn but it'll still that actually is, run the the console dude, log you should uh you should sick tip that on twitter because oh. i've never heard that and L- that's let a, me fire up the fire emoji yeah that's all <laughs> just <laughs> get your fire extinguisher handy just in case it, it's uh we don't <laughs> want to start any wildfires or anything <laughs> let's move on to the next one which is state so props, I always tell people in my React workshop, you got state and props, and those are your, your two big ones. And, and state is where your data lives, and props is how your data gets to where it needs to go. So I always think of state is the house, and props is the car or the bus 
that it, it goes on to to get to the actual final destination, right? So props could be just you manually passing in data to a component. You could just literally write name equals quotes West boss, and that's manually passing in data. But likely that data is living somewhere. It's it's living in some sort of data store at some point. And the data store that comes with React is called state. And every component can have state, meaning every component, if it needs to, can hold its own data. But in a lot of cases, you have like like a, a higher, I don't want to say higher component because that's a thing, but you have a component that lives at the top and that contains a lot of your application state. And then you pass down the data via, via props or via something called context. And that will that'll sort of infuse it into. So uh, state is where your data lives. Props is where your data needs to go or it gets how it needs to go. Yeah. So yeah, I guess the exception to that is that if you're using something like Apollo to get your data or even like Redux, your data doesn't necessarily spend too much time in state, right? Yeah, you can you can forego state entirely because uh, you could just pass in data from you could load in a JSON object and pass it in via props immediately. You could have something like Redux, which is an external store. And what Redux will do is it'll wrap your components and just inject that data directly from the Redux store into the props of your component. Or you could use something like Apollo, which will uh, use a render prop and automatically inject that data via the via prop. So you, there's really a whole bunch of different ways. But the way that React comes with is is called state. And you can use that at, to hold your entire application state. Or often I'll do just local state. Like I know that you did a mm -hmm. tutorial of the button that I, I use. I have a button in my back end that's called delete user or refund user. And it's called a scary button. And I don't want to accidentally click that button. Unless I'm, I'm really sure I want to do it. So uh, I, I click it once. And that that's that in, internally updates state of the button called uh, clicked and like our number of times clicked and that's one and then a number of times clicked two and then every time you click it it increments that and then on every click I check if that number is greater than three and if it's greater than three then we run the actual action that that button was supposed to happen uh, and then you reset the counter back to zero and and display. Uh, the data and, and that that's great because I never will accidentally refund someone or accidentally delete someone. I always have to click it three times and it gets scarier every time you click it. <laughs> yeah, that in my video, I made the button larger and redder every time you click it. So it's just like a little imposing, a little bit more imposing. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, again, yeah. Uh, there was like a time where people didn't want to use local state for anything. And that was a, one of those little micro trends that like was kind of outrageously ridiculous. Like there are some things let it make way more sense to be local state, you know, that, that are just like very nice to be local state. And, and I use local state for mostly local, local state things, toggling this or that. Although now I actually have a, have a render prop toggle component that I really like. So I guess oh, maybe I built one of those too there. in my upcoming course for opening the oh, cart. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love, I love the render prop toggle component, uh, myself, but yeah, so local state, you, you can set your state and, and again, these are, these are primarily things like not stuff that you need to access globally, but like, hey, is this this navigation, is this drawer open or closed? And maybe yeah. it's not something you need to be able to control from outside of that component or or whatever. But yeah, I'll give you another example of when I use state and that's with forms. I use if you had a form oh, yeah. like uh, yeah, you, you want to be able to fill out your name and description and upload an image. Those are three pieces of data that as you type them into your input box, they actually have to be react is kind of weird in this way, where if you're typing into an input box, 
it has to be bound to state. There's a ways around it. I show how to use something called refs in my beginner course as well. But primarily, if you're typing into an input box, that needs to live somewhere in, in your state. So what you can do is you can just mirror every time someone hits a key, you mirror that data to the state. And then the state will then populate the input. It's like sort of the circular circular thing. And then that's just sort of like a temporary holding place. And then when you click upload, you take it out of state and then you send it off to your backend. You put it in your Apollo store. You put you, you do wherever you want. But state is a nice little way to just keep it temporarily inside of that component before it is that you need to submit it to, to the backend or whatever. Yeah. And if I could, I think I think forms are easily my least favorite thing in React. Easily. Your least favorite? Least favorite thing in React. Like having to, one, like the syntax for ref sucks. It's always sucked. All the iterations of syntax for refs has sucked, except for (laughs) when it was a string. But that like was confusing for some reasons. And then like uh, if you're not using refs, having to have a like an on change, you have to one. There's like several ways you can have it automatically where you have like one on change function where maybe you're looking at the name of the the input or something like that. But either way, you need to put that on change on every single input and it's just like there has to be a better way to make a controlled input obviously not in the current system but i think there's something called react forms which i've never i've never looked into before but i think that there's a bunch of form form libraries like formic formic is one that a lot of people use it's very popular it Mm -hmm. has lots of stars on github yeah informed it's called react informed informed. they've I have to check some of these out. Usually what I do, and this is what Scott was talking about, is that I have an input and that input will have uh, a name. It will have a type and it will have uh, obviously a value. And and whenever any of those inputs change, I take the name and I, I use I, I have like one on change handler and I use ES6 generated properties or dynamic properties. So you use the name as the key in state you obviously use the value as the value in state. And then I use the type to just double check that if it's a number, I I, uh, I parse it into a number before I store it because inputs are always strings. And if it's a type of number, then it needs to be properly parsed as a, as a number. And uh, I just like write that over and over again. It's I'm pretty happy with it. And then if there's anything more involved, like uploading an image, then I'll have to write a custom handler for for that change event. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that fun, that works nice, but it's like it's boilerplate that you have to add to every single thing just That's to true. update a format. That's input, what was right? so nice about Angular, where you could just bind it to scope, scope, <laughs> bind yeah. it to the directive or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. If you were if you are like writing a really tiny project, just bind it to global scope. Done. <laughs> Done. Call it a day. <laughs> we had we had like so many projects that would be like, oh, shit, we have you know, six hours to get this whole thing done. And it's a prototype. It's never going to see the light of day. It's never going to be in production. Just throw it all on, on, on scope and let's just call it a day and let's get this thing done. It That's was, funny. That's yeah. because that happened with that initially happened with vanilla JavaScript. Put, everyone put everything on window. Uh, then in, in Angular or in jQuery, everybody put everything on the dollar sign because they're like, oh, it's just a kind of namespace. Every single time people figure out how to do something bad and, and react as hard as it is to do some things, it's because they don't want you making mistakes. And I find that I, I write a lot less terrible code in React. I still write my fair share of terrible code, but I do less in, in React. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So state we mentioned is where you go when you want to, to put your data places. You want to you want to modify it. You want to open up your your local state. You want to you want to change it. You want to access and, and work with data. Right. Well, 
a surface that we like to use over here at Syntax <laughs> for storing data long term, not in local state, but long term, is our one of our favorite database services called MLab, which actually looked it was originally called MongoLab, right? MongoLab, uh, that's what we it was were talking called. about this last time. Yeah, so MLab. MLab.com is basically a service for hosting your databases that makes everything just super easy. Uh, And Wes and I have both used MLab for a long time, and we both really like it. Yeah, this is one of my favorite times when a sponsor comes on that you've been using them for a long, long time. And it's funny that like almost all of our sponsors are things that we actually use ourselves. And it's just because usually what happens is we just mention them on the podcast. They see a little boost from the podcast show notes and then they come back and and properly sponsor, which is, I I think, how drug dealers work as well. (laughs) But uh, so MLab, I've been using them probably, I think, 2011, 2012 is, is when I first started my course platform. And they've been hosting my MongoDB database ever since. And they're awesome because they obviously host your MongoDB database for you. That's great because you don't have to worry about uh, scaling that thing. You don't have to worry about security against that thing. You don't have to worry about they'll do backups for you. You can schedule as many backups as as you want. You have to pay a little bit extra for however many backups that you want. And it's great because databases, quite frankly, scare me because they, they scare just, me too. <laughs> I just don't want to lose it. The, the idea of spinning up a Amazon, like they host the database on Amazon for you. But the idea of doing it myself and, and being like out to lunch with it is it kind of kind of scares me. So uh, check out MLab if you want them to uh, host your MongoDB database. We use it in my node course as well. They weren't even a sponsor at that point because I just love using them. They have a sandbox which is free. You don't have to input a credit card number or anything sneaky like that. You can just get up and running with a, a database. And then as you need to to scale up, as you go to production, you can start using their 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 different paid plans that you have. They have got some some pretty cheap stuff, 15 bucks a gig on their shared one or dedicated. If you've got some serious traffic being thrown your way, I just use a shared one and I have a, a fairly high traffic site myself. So check it out at mlab.com. And uh, thanks so much to MLab for sponsoring. Thank you. Yeah, I again, I, I love it. I mean, we, we just had a Sentry sponsor the last Hasty Treat. It's like another service that we use just so much. I, I love when our favorite services reach out to us. So thank you so much for sponsoring. So we talked about data in state. We talked about props, which is getting your data to it. But like uh, the another thing about React is like, how do you get the data into React components? And there's a couple of things that, that React doesn't do for you. And, and one of them is routing. And another one is actually data fetching. Like uh, if you're coming from Angular, they had a way to fetch data. If you're coming from jQuery, you always use $.ajax or $.getjson. In React, it's often bring your own, which means like you choose what it is that you want to use to to fetch your data, which um, I didn't love at first because I often prefer people just to tell me what to do. And and this is the best way to do it rather than you have to figure out your own approach. I have that way with file systems as well, where React doesn't really have like a set way to organize your components and stuff like that. I much prefer a convention that this is how you use it, right? But uh, yeah. how do you how do you fetch your data other than I guess you can you can explain Apollo. But if it's just like a, a restful API, how would you handle that? So if it was like a restful API, I would have it in like the component did update 
and then just hit that API and then return the data or the error and set that to state and then then have that state being passed in as a prop into a child component, which would then access that data. Uh, and before, like, so I've used things like Meteor before where they used to have like a mix-in that would go and grab your data from a like Mongo find on the client side that was like really kind of slick. And then there was, now I use Apollo, which is a, a GraphQL API where I can have my query basically just in a higher order component and it just spits out the data inside of a data um, out of the function from the render prop. And mm -hmm. I just pass that down into my children that way. So uh, yeah, again, if if you, you know, I would just use the fetch API, although a lot of people use Axios and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, what is, what what the fuck is Axios? <laughs> so shout out to Tom and Zara, who <laughs> they were like in like Provence, which is, I think the south of France, listening to our podcast, which is very flattering. And Tom said, what the fuck is Axios? <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't know, Axios is a like it's like fetch. It's an Ajax fetching uh, library that, that you can install and it, it works on promises. So you can use sync await and it's it's really, really nice. So I use Axios myself anytime I'm working with an Ajax request. I'll, I'll use Axios. And, and the way that it works is that you generally hook into what's called a lifecycle method. We'll talk about that in just a second. And like generally when the component loads, uh, you you go off and you fetch a list of dogs, ice cream, people, something like that. And then that data will come back from the API. You'll set it to state and then you uh, will pass that into props of your component or it'll be you'll render it out directly via state in your component. Now, the downside to that is that you have to handle your own error states and your own loading states. So generally, you'll have something in state called loading true or false. And then in your render, you'll check if the, that Boolean is set or not. Uh, and then you'll also have an error state. And that's why that's something I really like about using Apollo. Obviously, it requires you to use a GraphQL backend. But if you have a GraphQL backend, Apollo handles all of the loading and error states for you so that you don't have to continually do this whole song and dance of is loading is there an error? You have to check for all of them, set these booleans oh, yeah. true and false. And it's it's a bit of a pain. Easily one of my favorite parts about Apollo. Yeah, you just spit out the uh, loading error data and you can just be, if loading, then return spinner or whatever. I mean, I love that. It's just, it makes it nice and easy. Totally. So that's that's data in React. You can kind of fetch it any way uh, you, you want. You can also use in my React for Beginners course, we use Firebase, which is a like a real time database. And Firebase is awesome um, for for learning React because you don't really need to know a whole lot about the back end. And, and there's some some really nice packages, one called Rebase, which will um, mirror some state to what's in Firebase. And it does this sort of like two-way data binding. So if, if anything changes on either side, it will update the other side. And I really, really like that. And the package just automatically will uh, sync the data of your state with the data of your, your Firebase. So uh, next we have event handlers, which obviously we're building sort of dynamic things, right? So event handlers are something that you're going to need quite frequently if you're building anything that's actually interactive in React, right? So the way that event handlers work is you basically have a property, I guess you could call it a property or an, uh, attribute. an attribute yeah. on your JSX element, and that is going to be the event. You could think of these events as things like 
on click, right? So you have a button and then you'd have an on click. And in that on click, it equals brackets and then whatever you want it to do. So typically you're having it run a function or a method inside of your class and you could just pass that function right in there or you could have an inline function in there that's a nice little arrow function inside of your on click, on click itself. And you know, as far as uh, events go, it's pretty much just the events that you'd expect from JavaScript, right? It's JavaScript events. Yeah, they're, they are all the standard JavaScript events that you're used to. The only weird thing about it is that they are all inline, meaning that, like like Scott said, it's on. you have a button and you say on click, which we've been taught for years and years, don't ever do that. But because we are sort of blending our, our, our render layer with our logic layer, you do do it right inside. And I actually have learned to really, really like it. So uh, you have it. They do. They are what are called synthetic events in React, where um, they actually listen for every single event on the body tag or or maybe the maybe the document. I forget. But they listen for every single event on the very top one. And then those events will propagate through your, your application. And they just reuse that one event over and over again for, for performance reason, as far as I know. But other, you as a developer don't really have to know a whole lot about that just because it, it works fairly similar. It's only when you try to like get into like stop propagation or or bubbling after a couple of milliseconds um, because the event is reused. You have to do some some funkiness around that. Now, what kind of events? Do, I mean, obviously on click, but what other events do you you find yourself using a lot? Because it's one of those things that there's so many events that do exist, but I feel like they go underutilized like. On yeah. scroll. I mean, I guess on scroll is somewhat utilized, but there's just some really interesting events that I feel like don't get a lot of use. Yeah, I really only use uh, on click, on submit. I'll always pop a on submit onto the form element, an on change where you would need to to work with form inputs, and I've I've used like on mouse in and and mouse mouse enter a yeah. couple times, but yeah. pretty much just those three is is most of your application. Yeah, likewise. I've never used on double click, but it exists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's not the, uh, the the web doesn't really have much of double clicking, so we don't really need to reach for that all that often. Yeah. Yep. One weird thing about event handlers in React and specifically with classes is that if you want to reference the component itself and specifically the state or the props of the component, inside an event handler, it's a little bit weird because what happens is like, let's say you have uh, a button component that you've made and you say, when someone clicks that button, run the internal method called fetch dogs. And and when you click that, you fetch some dogs and you want to put them back into state. Inside of your render method of a React component, you can always access this. And this is always going to be bound to the instance of that component. So if you've got six different buttons on the page, this will equal to that instance of the button. And that's great because each button can have its own internal uh, internal list of dogs. Right. And what happens is that when you when you put it in a separate event handler called like fetch dogs, you no longer have access to the component instance. So that means you can't have access to this. And that means you can't say this dot set state. You can't update state. You can't uh, see information about the component, which is props. So that's a bit of a pain. Uh, and the way that you could get around that traditionally is you would go into the class constructor and bind it to this. So you would have like 
this dot fetch dogs equals this dot fetch dogs dot bind this, which is just a nightmare to actually have to do that. And that's not a limitation of React. That's just a limitation of ESX classes. So React deprecated create class in, in favor of extending proper ESX classes. And one thing that ESX classes don't have yet is what are called instance properties. And instance properties are, are properties on a, on a class that every time you make a new one, every time you make a new button, you have access to the specific data about that one. It's not shared amongst all of the buttons. So the solution is that there's a proposal out for JavaScript for ESX classes to add what are called instance properties. And the little trick is that you can set an instance property to be an arrow function, which will allow you to have uh, this on every single component. So uh, it's one of those things that might not make sense on this podcast, but as soon as you run into it, you go, oh, I probably need an instance property. And even though it's not part of JavaScript, it's sort of widely accepted as the way that you do event handlers that need to access this. Word, word, <laughs> word, word, word. Yeah. Hopefully so, that makes uh, sense. Next- I know that was a lot. I, I think it does. Uh, yeah. But again, it's, it's going to be one of those things that makes sense if you Google it. So next up on the list is lifecycle methods, which uh, lifecycle methods are something that, well, you have a component, right? Your component has a life. I guess you could say it has a life and <laughs> in the abstract way of things and, and not necessarily it's not alive. But uh, your component, basically, it, it's created and it's destroyed. And in that process, well, it's also updated, I should say, created, destroyed and updated. In that process, you have methods that are run at the various stages. For instance, the constructor. When the thing is being constructed, when it's being created, the constructor runs, right? And there's a specific order to, like, the order in which these things run, right? So we have these various lifecycle methods from the constructor of the class to get derived state from props, which is a mouthful of a new component lifecycle method. Uh, even render is considered a lifecycle method. Component did mount. Should component update? Component did update. I think the ones you end up using most often are obviously render, uh, but component did mount and component did update are probably yeah. the most used. Yeah, so anytime you ask yourself, I want to do this when, that's likely when you need to reach for a lifecycle method because these lifecycle methods are like little, uh, like little, like I like to think of them like escape hatches or, or little ways to slip in as the component is doing its life. Um, and often what needs to happen is that your component will do its initial mount to the page. A mount is when a component shows up. And then when a component, when it's done mounting, that's generally when you need to go off and fetch the data, right? And and that will go off and that will actually trigger a second re-render. It's not a big deal, but because when the data comes back, you set it to state and then your, your dogs or whatever start to show on the page. And sometimes you need to use like external JavaScript libraries that aren't React specific. Like you need to use a DOM library where you actually have to like listen for events. Uh, And then what do you have to do with those events? You have to unlisten. Like React handles all of the binding and unbinding for you. But if you're doing something that's outside of React in a React component, you likely need to reach into these lifecycle methods and uh, and listen and you do your add event listeners on did mount and do your remove event listeners on will unmount just before it's about to to leave the page. So uh, there's a whole bunch of these different ones. You probably will use all of them at different points. The component did update, I find is also handy. If if you ever want to say like, okay, whenever something changes about this thing, 
whenever some of the props change, whenever some of the state changes. And what's kind of cool about that is it will give you the old props and the new props and, and the old state and the new state. And you can compare those two things and you can you can do a little bit of logic. Oh, if these things have changed more than 30 percent, then trigger something. Um, I, yeah. I specifically use that in my React player on my course thing where I want to I want to s- save progress for how how long someone is. And I listen for the uh, HTML5 video player progress event, but I don't want to send a, a, an Ajax request every single one. I want to send it every 20 seconds. So what I'll do is I'll save the last time that I did it in state and then I'll say, OK, if the progress has changed, Either way, like backwards or forwards, more than 20 seconds, then fire off the the Ajax request to, to update how far they are in that video. Yeah. And you always want to be careful, of course, if in your component did update, if you are modifying the state, keep in mind that every time the state is modified, it triggers another re-render, which triggers another component did update and can lead to some infinite loops, right? If you're, It'll if just you're fall always, over. yeah, make sure it's conditional, right? <laughs> Otherwise you could find yourself in one of those, you know, your fan starts spinning up and your CPU starts getting hot and uh, your website is non-responsive. There's also another one uh, called should component update, which is really handy. It basically tells whether React should trigger a re-render or not. And that's really handy because if you have like for some reason, if you have like data being like boom, 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 being fed into your component many times, that could trigger like six or seven re-renders within a couple seconds. Um, and, And what you can do in that case is you can return false from should component update and that will actually stop it from re-rendering. And then you have to have some logic in there that will like say, okay, if, if it hasn't re-rendered in six seconds, or if I now have five new things to show on this page, then trigger a new re-render and, and you can sort of manage it there. And in most cases, I don't have to use that, but if it's a specific case where I'm really hammering the component and I want some like some nice touch, like a, a light touch on when it re-renders, then you can, you can do the logic in there. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Uh, next we have is context, uh, which is a new new ish to React, and basically is a way to have a global state or or state or even just data passed from one section of your application to the other section of your application without having to have any sort of you know prop drilling or prop go from one to another to another to another. You can have uh, your state being set somewhere, and you can utilize that state via context. Yeah, context is awesome because it, it, like Scott said, it solves that problem of, of prop drilling. And I like to think of context as the data is in the air uh, and uh, meaning that you can define context at the top of your application uh, and then you can you can have what's called a consumer at a lower point in your application and it will sort of like reach out of the air for the data and uh, and be able to pull it out without you having to, to prop draw. Kind of a cool thing about that is you can also stick methods in there that handle the updating of that data. So you can it, it's kind of like a kind of like Redux. We've talked about go back to the episode that says is Redux dead? And we've we talked about this and the answer to that is no. But if you just have pretty simple data and a couple methods that need to update that data, you can likely get away with putting all of that in a provider and then reaching for it with a a context consumer. I've got a video on this. I'll link it up in the show notes. It's called Here's How React's New Context API Works. I'm very proud of this one because it's if you search React Context on Google Video, it's the first that comes up. 
last thing that we have is just routing in React. This is another one of those things that doesn't come with React. You have to reach for an external package to do routing. Routing is when a page changes from page to page, what do you do, right? So, uh, so sort of the big router out there is React Router. There is a router built into the Next.js framework, which I'm very partial of. I use that in all of my all of my applications. I actually just switched over my course platform from React Router to a Next.js application. And then just in the last week, I don't know if you've heard of this, Scott, but uh, Ryan Florence, who I, was I the, like this a lot. yeah, he's the creator behind React Router coming out with, it, it's been seven months since we've had a new router in React. So it's about time <laughs> that we have something new because I was getting tired of of not having to rewrite my application. So we have a new one, which is called Reach. And it looks, as far as I can see, it has a big focus on accessibility, which is really cool. Have you looked into this at all, Scott? I've looked into this pretty heavily. In fact, Gatsby just moved over to Reach. Wow. I'm pretty sure it's for Gatsby too. Uh, I, I haven't necessarily been following that too much other than on Twitter. Uh, they did fully merge it in though. And Reach Router, uh, the thing I really like about Reach Router is basically, so with React Router, you end up having either like a switch, which I think was a terrible, I get it, it's a switch. It's a JavaScript yep. switch, but I think it's a terrible name for a routing component. But you end up having this router component that wraps around other actual components. Let's say you have on level up tutorials, you have, let's say the about page or the home page. You have the router wrapped around the about component and the home component. And then on those components themselves, you just pass in a path prop. And that path prop defines whether or not that component is going to be rendered. So basically it saves you from having to have an extra route prop that then loads a component and allows you to just load a component itself on a given path, allowing you to pass props into that component just as if it were any other component instead of having to do a render function uh, inside of a render prop to pass in props and stuff like that. So uh, as far as like the syntax for it goes, I looked at it and instantly was like, I like this. I like this a lot. And then I made an issue in my level up tuts issue queue that says convert router to reach. And now, <laughs> I, now obviously with me and refactoring, you know, it's who knows when that's going to get done because my application is pretty large and that would break a ton of things. But I'm interested. I'm very interested. And I really like the way it looks. I like the ideas behind it. I like that it's uh, accessibility first and all sorts of those things. So that's yeah, cool. I, I'm, I'm just looking I'm at this right now. It. It's like it basically, yeah, like you said, I just have a path. I haven't looked at docs before. Documentation is beautiful. It's amazing. Only show this component if the path matches this. That's that's very simple. I like that a lot. Impressive. So maybe we'll all be switching over. Also, I've heard some rumbles that Next is going to switch over their internal router to um to, I heard React Router, but maybe it'll be Reach at some point. But uh, hopefully it doesn't cause any code changes because you just use uh, whatever it is that Next uses under the hood. Yeah, that's how Gatsby works too. It's just like kind of takes care of the routing. It's like file-based and stuff like that. Yeah. So. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, so that's our sort of intro to React. Uh, it's kind of fun to be able to do an episode on uh, some of the fundamentals of React and, and talk about this stuff. If you've got any uh, ideas of, of other React episodes you'd like to see, uh, please hit us up and uh, you can pop them in the potluck. If you go to syntax.fm, there's a button that says ask a potluck. You can ask them in there and uh, sometimes we convert a potluck to a full meal and uh, do them as a, a proper proper show or a hasty. Yeah, and we do have to do that view episode too. So uh, Wes needs to. It's coming. Get on his view. 
just just look over the docs and then I can I can lead the episode and okay. we can talk about it. <laughs> All right, that's that's gonna happen. People are starting to get get uh, angry that we They're haven't done the angry. view episode yet. Cool. I may, maybe I'm just afraid that I'm gonna like it so much that I'm gonna switch everything over to view. Oh yeah, that like that would be a, a huge bummer. All of a sudden, there's something wonderful that you have to switch to. You know? <laughs> oh man! Uh, what what kind of sick pick you sick picking today? All right, my sick pick is today is not a pick; it's a sick ask, which is not a it's a sick ask. Ask, ask. sick ask. And I'm forever. I hate carrying stuff in my pockets. So you got keys. And I just got an, we got a new car and the key for it is so freaking huge. I'm so pissed at it. And uh, my wallet, I, I recently, I asked on Twitter maybe a couple of months ago for uh, wallet suggestions. And uh, I just want like a nice slim wallet, something that can fit like nine cards. Cause I'm trying to go, I'm trying to put all the cards on my iPhone that I possibly can. And, and then just have whatever it is that I need in my actual wallet. And I got this, like, it's basically just an elastic band. I don't know who makes it. I'll, I'll try to find the link for it, but it's basically just an elastic band, like not just a, like a like a broccoli elastic. I tried that, but it kept snapping. But it's like a like an elastic band that you get in like a, a pair of gym shorts and it just wraps the entire cards. And I've been really, really liking it because it's it's easy to get your cards in and out. And, and you can also stuff like receipts and stuff in there if you need to. A uh, big fan of that. But now I'm I'm moving on to my keys because I, I when I was a kid and I still do this. Like when I was a scenester, I would put everything on a carabiner and then like put it on my jeans. And I still do that. But now I sound like a janitor walking around and it drives me crazy. <laughs> so uh, I've seen people with these like these like key management systems where you kind of like you, you flip them out like a like a Swiss Army knife or something like that. And I'm really curious about if those work well or not and what the different ones are. And it's overwhelming to do research on them. Uh, so if anyone has one of these key management systems that doesn't make you sound like a janitor, then uh, hit me up because I've got, wait, one, two, three, I got six keys that I have to carry around. And uh, I need to be able to, to have something better than this jingly yeah. mess. We, we call keys cheese over at my house. Cheese? Yeah, did you get the cheese? <laughs> I don't get it. Why? <laughs> There's nothing to get. Uh, I, I, I've, I've made a habit of... <laughs> I've made a habit of replacing words with other words in my sentences. Oh, yeah. And, like, people who have just listened to me long enough, like, know what I'm talking about. And people who don't have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. Like, for a long time, I used to drink a lot of Red Bull. So, but I started just... I just started calling it Bread Bull for some reason. I'd just throw a B in there. <laughs> And then so I'd be like, I think I'm going to go get a bread bowl. And like I had a coworker be like, it's like four o'clock, dude. And the, the, my other coworker would just like shake his head and be like, no, he's talking about Red Bull. Like, like, <laughs> like I, I, I do that's a that true with... mark of a millennial, I think. <laughs> I've been I swap so many words with other words that I think it, it's it's like hugely probably distracting <laughs> for some people. I'm surprised I haven't done it in the context of this podcast before. Uh, that's what we it's like a daily thing. We're going on a walk and I'll be like, did you get the cheese? And my wife, Courtney, she just doesn't even she doesn't even flinch about it at this point. She's just like, yeah, I got it. Like, <laughs> Oh, man, that's hilarious. Wait, speaking of millennials, another sick pick real quick. I watched the uh, comedy oh. stand up from uh, Liza Schlesinger. Yeah. Uh, called Elder Millennial. Do you see it? I didn't. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's hilarious. She is uh, so funny. We, 
we saw lately um, that was also hilarious. Ali Wong's latest special. Oh yeah, yeah. Especially if you have children, my God, that is the funniest. We that were is crying. Like very real world. Yeah, Ellie Wong. I mean, both her specials were great. So the yeah, me and my fan. wife always talk. Her her first special, she has this joke where she goes, "Lean in." I want to lie down. <laughs> we, we always, me and my wife always talk to each other. I want to lie down. Oh, my God. Yeah, those are great. Uh, so my, my sick pick today is actually a podcast. And this one is really, really interesting. It's, it's called, called Syntax. Dar- it's called Syntax. Oh. It is. Check it out. Syntax.fm. Uh, no, this podcast is called Darknet Diaries. And Ooh. if you like, it, it's like a combination of a tech podcast and a true crime podcast, because what it does is it it's, it talks about large hacks that have taken place. And these are very super interesting. Uh, and one of them, they had an interview with uh, which which episode was it here? They had an interview with an actual uh, like a um, someone who works for the government who hacks like for the government. And they were the smartest person I've ever heard to talk on a podcast. They were just like, based on these factors, we were able to determine that the server was running all of these specs and this version of this operating system and had these following exploits because of that. And and I was just thinking, like, how did you determine that? And then she like went broke through how they determined that. And I was just like, dang. This is really like everything is really smart. But either way, they interview a lot of the people involved. Um, There's some really interesting ones. There's some really like ones that will make you think like, you know, there's one with an, you know, autistic child who like never had the proper um, sort of uh, help for him in, in school. And because of that, he ended up getting like in a lot of trouble doing a hack that he didn't necessarily at the time understand why it was so bad. And then because of that, he's still paying for it like many, many years later. So there's just a ton of like really super interesting things. Some some very like high profile hacks have been covered. Some things you've never heard of have been covered. And it is just really, really uh just really fascinating. It's a new podcast. There's only 19 episodes. It started, looks like it started in September of last year, but they didn't really update a ton until lately. And there's been a bunch of episodes. So maybe one a month or so, maybe not a bunch, but it, they've all been good. Every single one I've watched has been good. So check it out. Darknet Diaries. Uh, it should be on any of your local podcast players. Awesome. I'm going to check that out. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I'm a big fan. It's one of those ones you're like, dang it, how is there not more episodes? I want them. Uh, But yeah, and uh, shameless plugs. I'm going to shamelessly plug Level Up Pro. I have a course coming out on React testing, and it's going to cover all sorts of things. Uh, We're using React testing library, which is mm, just the very best. And uh, so none of this enzyme stuff. We're using React testing library. We're using Jest. We do all sorts of styles of React testing, and we use Cypress for some integration testing. So it's it's pretty all-encompassing. I, I hope to fill a gap in what I, I feel like is is good testing information for people who don't do a lot of testing. The, the main angle here is this is for beginners. I explain every terminology, uh, all of the jargony stuff, and we break it down into really, really small chunks. So... That's going to be out this month on Level Up Pro. Sign up. If you sign up for a year, you save 25%. So that's pretty sick. Uh, Leveluptutorials.com forward slash pro. Wicked. I'm just going to plug all of my stuff again. Westboss.com forward slash courses. Got a list of every single course that I have. Half of them are free. Half of them are premium, which is a fun way of saying 
they're paid. And that's how I support myself. <laughs> so check it on out if you want to learn anything from React or Node, server-side JavaScript, front-end JavaScript. If you want to uh, skill up on ES6, that's one thing about React is that it assumes that you know all of these new things in ES6. So I have an ES6.io course you can check out as well. I think that's it for today. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you next week. Catch you later. Peace. Peace. Head on over to Syntax.fm for a full archive of all of our shows. And don't forget to subscribe in your podcast player or drop a review if you like this show.